You're listening to Banter with Buck. Hey everyone, my name is Kevin Pyers. I'm a writer and strategist out of the Buck office in Los Angeles, and I'm really, really so thrilled to introduce you to our guest today, Grace Harry. Grace is what you call a true creative polymath. From entertainment to creative direction and management to now joy strategy, she's defined and redefined along her decades-long career what does and doesn't make her happy and how to help others find their own sense of joy and creative freedom. Grace, welcome to Banter. Thank you. What a beautiful intro. I love it. Of course. So let's jump right in. Um, Do it. I want to talk about your career because there's a very real conversation these days about the great resignation and there's sort of this recalibrating of how we think about work and yes. what makes happy in relation to our careers. And there's really lots of should I stay or should I go energy. And in your own career, you've made from what from the outside could look like such hard pivots that for others could be like, whoa, I'm not going to even try but for you, it seems like that's always been in this search for really what makes you happy. So I'd love to start there and how you navigate these career transitions and how they've all been towards this end of, hey, what makes me happy and how can I do more of it? I love it. Well, I make a very hard distinction between happiness and joy. So I want to start right there. Happiness, unfortunately, and fortunately, we attach to a lot of stories. You know, it's been marketed to us as a very specific thing. Joy is our birthright. We have it. You can't act like we've never experienced it. Even if the last time you had true joy, you were like five, you still know how to do it. And you still, you still have it as kind of an emotion and energy from your heart. So that's the big difference between joy and happiness. And I think in my situation, ignorance is bliss is pretty much the best thing. I was raised by some teenagers and we had to move around a lot and do a lot of things. And so I just, being creative in my space, in my environments, moving every year, being in different schools all the time, taught me to, as, as corny and cliche as it sounds, find joy in my own heart, you know, understanding mm. that I am the experience, I am the party. And, you know, as a young person, that was hard because with everything, there's a, a shadow and a, and a gift, right, in every experience. So the shadow of that is people-pleasing, chameleon, really believing that me in service to love um, is gonna bring me the great love. And um, so it was interesting. It was interesting to have such a beautiful experience of following my own inner GPS and then a negative one, or should I say a more complicated checkered path one with my heart. So, yeah. In the actual day to day, what are the kinds of things that in those moments were kind of leading you to the realization that you had to make those changes. I'm, you know, navigating career pivots and really like what brings us joy seems at the heart of so many of the questions of life. And, you know, you speak about it so eloquently, but I'm sure in those moments you were rife with indecision and back and forth. And how do you identify in those moments the feeling of of whether having to leave is real or whether there's something left to explore in the situation you're in? Yes, your wonderful question. I think here's the deal. We do know what we feel good about. We do. You know, people would say, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want my dream to be. I don't know how I feel. When we're born or when we come into embodiment, however, whatever faith uh, feels comfortable hearing that, right, whichever way, God or source, divine, the mother, the light, there's this concept that we come in with everything you need. There's a moment between that journey where you're going to embody whatever you want. You could think about it. How about we think about it like going undercover, right? Like mm. we all live in this light being, light sphere and then it's our turn. We have a mission. We're going to go to earth school. We're going to get down there. And it depends on the family of origin that you're going to join again, mm -hmm. how quickly you're going to feel back in that state of love. And, you know, there's real science around that with the dopamine and all the, the love hormones and, all of those things that come into play when you're a child. Uh, you see these children walking down the street, they start skipping, then they're mm -hmm. dancing. All of a sudden they're singing a song out loud and 
when we're kids, we have that permission to do that. But when did that end? That only ended when we started to feel that who we were authentically, all of a sudden was gonna be a problem with the community that we're in. So we start building this avatar person who doesn't get in trouble. So the reason I'm giving you this long spiel is because accessing that, that person or going back mm -hmm. to whether you are six or five or two and feeling that, the excitement of curiosity. And, and that's really my magic. Like I literally am a curious contrarian. I just, my love language is growing. My love language is mm -hmm. learning. I find humans fascinating. And, and that's a really helpful skill to have when you're navigating from place to place, back to the kind of the shadow and the gift of that. So I, I had a lot of bumps on that road until I realized that the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. Mm. So if I could feel when I was an experience that was kind of holding me back in one area of my life, I had to take that show on the road. And I think that's really, that's really what it was. It's knowing that my value in this one area, as soon as I'm feeling I've gone past that, I'm now beyond what actually feels good in my, my reality, yeah. of my heart, I should say. Um, that's when it's time to go. And the decisions only get hard when we're othering, right? Mm -hmm. when, so that duality of um, I'm my authentic self and I trust life and everything about my authentic self I'm going to trust. And, you know, I'm 51. So I could absolutely see at this point in my life how even those things that I deemed as, as horrible or complicated, the worst thing ever, or, or woe is me or victim consciousness, every single one of those things has either led me to a better situation, going better, or a new way of looking at it, which is a better situation. And so that 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 freedom really comes from getting to know yourself intimately. And we have it. Listen, you walk into a room, I'm sure all of us have walked into a space at one time or another and said, Oh, I don't like this energy. Right? Totally. But we have that all the time, 24 hours a day, our inner GPS, if we can learn to tune back into what actually feels right and what doesn't. And all those decisions and the toiling and the, they get more clear when you're, choosing, when you're choosing yourself over and over. I think I went on a meandering route, but did that bring you anywhere closer to the question? It does. And it kind of, you know, reminds me of, in some ways, probably a situation we've all encountered in my own career I definitely started off with a sense of the me that showed up at work was a different version of myself. It was someone who is protected and on guard and, you know, trying some version of perfectionism that was never attainable. And the tensions that came from those career paths and jobs, I think, in retrospect, were connected to what you're describing, which is an inability to really, like, see it for what it was, what it was which is a lack of alignment between what I wanted to be doing and what I was doing. But when you're in it, it's almost impossible to have that bird's eye view that, you know, wants to scoop you out of that situation and, and take you somewhere else. Well, let me challenge that because it's absolutely, it's not impossible. The thing is that, that we have been taught to live in a very specific way, right? Yeah. You think about even what you do is a disruption of a way of looking at things to get people to want something that they bring into their life. Is that a, a fair assessment of what the come right? Sure. So if that is the case, then you know that you can't try to sell me, like even when I went to go get a lozenge, I find old words so fun and fascinating. I'm sure most people don't even know what a lozenge is. Or you, you know, there's words that we use now that have no connection to the origin of that word at all. So we have to start to defy those stories and start to really get back to what do we feel about ourselves? Like, do we hold on to our big dream? Does our big dream inform everything we do every day? When I work with clients, and I call myself a joy strategist for the reason, is that we've all gotten so good at talking about our issues, right? We're all so mm -hmm. smart. We can, we're all now triggered all the time. That's my favorite. I'm triggered, which is really a crazy thing to say and not do anything. It's almost like saying I'm hungered and never mm. getting food, right? Like trigger doesn't mean that I should deal with your problems. Triggers mean that, oh, wow, that's a wonderful experience. Whatever just happened with us, it triggered something that I'm feeling that very strongly. Well, that's an invitation to take that work and go deeper. But back to the beginning, we've been marketed in propaganda so much that we're supposed to feel happy. And we're supposed to, we're supposed to do all these shoulds and don'ts and can'ts and wants by people. Mm. You might, if you take dating advice now from your grandmother, let's say, 
she may be getting dating advice from her grandmother. Now, is the same people that ask you how to fix your phone. So maybe that advice is not so current anymore. Mm. Maybe she couldn't even, there wouldn't even be a preview into the kind of human that Kevin or Hillary or Morgan or Anita would be in 2022 to know like even now at this point, I really advise everyone needs an intimacy team. That sounds insane to people over 65 years old when I say that, mm. and even what that means. So it, we really do know it is not impossible if we design a life where we think about what is my big dream? Let's say my big dream was that I wanna be, I wanna, I wanna be an astronaut, let's just say. So I can sit here and say, that's impossible, that's insane. What I'm good at, what I'm getting paid to do is blah, blah, blah. And then my ego and my brain who wanna make me feel like I shouldn't follow my heart are gonna jump all over that. And then the ego is gonna tell the brain, pull up a bunch of things, uh, images to remind Kevin not to take such a dramatic step and follow heart again. But really the truth is only heart has our imagination. It has new ideas only here. And when we rebrand all that, those emotions and things, we start to really listen to that as the big dream. So if I'm gonna be an astronaut, yes, it would be scary for me to just quit my job and do that. But if I know that my I have a 10 year plan for that, then every day I have to do one thing, even tiny, towards the big dream. Maybe every day I have to read something about my bigger goal. Maybe there's an exercise thing that I'll need in that, I should start doing that now. So as soon as you start living inside your dream now, even if it's tiny, in your every day, then you always have a sorting mechanism for if where you are today really speaks a bigger dream. And there you yeah. go. And then how do you stay aligned with that bigger dream and not start to get scared? Well, that's the daily work, making yourself the star of the story, creating ways every day to remind yourself about the things you need to be in the state to be that bigger person. Totally. I Building off of that, helping yourself create that space that allows you to access your dreams and fulfillment. I think in today's society, we have this conversation around self-care. And in some ways, you know, I think now we're reaching a point where we're seeing the, the sort of complicated nature of that, where the idea of self-care is being used to maybe give yourself too much room or to focus your attention on things that aren't actually furthering where you want to be. And you're speaking about something that's very tangible. It's about doing the active steps towards getting somewhere else. And imagine that in working with so many creatives, you probably get a lot of people who come to you with like a huge dream that then you then are responsible for being like, I love it, but what are exactly. you doing today? Exactly. Yeah, and, and, and um, you said something in the beginning that, okay, obviously, what did you start with? You started with that. I work with creatives and keeping people on, oh, self-care. Here's the thing about self-care. Like everything else, especially in this country, we know all of a sudden it's like, I'm much older than most of you. So soy was all of a sudden this thing and everything was soy. Now everything's matcha, everything's oat milk. And I say that to say that, right, self-care is now this big fun label and we're supposed to figure out how to fit into it. But if you, you know, we, we treat other people much better than we treat ourselves. So whatever you have to slot in there, your best friend, your lover, your parent, your boss to motivate you, how would you, what would you do for them? You're mm -hmm. caring for them, you're working for them, or you're trying to get them to realize how much you, they, you, that you love them. That's self-care, right? That's making sure your finances are good, making sure that you're putting aside something towards your big dream, making sure that you feel good, even when you're alone in your house, not getting up and being like smelly and wearing sweatpants, which a lot of people do for days on end, no judgment. But if, you, if, you, if you're turned on by yourself in that state, fantastic. But if you're not, it's just changing that mindset. And that's what self-care is really supposed to be. It's supposed to be you know, this bigger concept that whatever your spiritual faith is, it's the beloved. And mm -hmm. if you believe in anything, even if you don't believe in a God source, you believe in energy, we feel it, or light, or something. So there's something that's inside you, some, some energy, whether even it's just you relate to music, which is a, a sacred energy. Right, making that your mantra, making that your life's purpose keeps you back in your dream. And so that's why self-care is so important. And what I tell the big artists, I really start with that because I found, and the reason I went from creative with artists specifically to all of us as creators is because I realized that everyone has the same problems. I don't care how big of an artist you are. I don't care how many Grammys, Oscars, whatever you have, 
all of us are running the same storyline in different ways, which is that thing of how do I, you know, what do we call it? Imposter syndrome or social mm. anxiety. All of that is just the avatar and your authentic self. If we could really get that pre-verbally, when we started to really try to connect it, listen, we could, we're, this is a learning planet. We had a lot to do boot camp when we got here. We had to know how to walk and talk. We had to learn how to then, but we also had to learn how to be safe in our family community. And we had to learn very quickly the things that they felt were great or not great. So either by being someone who just wanted to be loved so much that you just did the right thing, or by just not being sick of being in trouble all the time, you just started doing the right thing. That's not who you actually are. Mm -hmm. And that's really the bigger point of like, so when I work with artists, I always got them to understand that because they would always get to um, sophomore, the sophomore crisis, you know, where all of a sudden they made that massive album or that huge movie or whatever it was, but now they were stuck at a point and couldn't move forward. That's not a mystery. That's because we put so much focus on that one big first dream that we abandoned everything else because but we were mm -hmm. hungry at the time. So we had nothing else to worry about losing or anything. But the holding on to anything that's success is the problem. It's the creation that is the success. So if you're constantly in creation and you're enjoying yourself, and let's say you're you love to paint when you're a kid. Oh, I don't paint now, I'm not great. It's not the point. That's actually a spiritual act because it reconnects you to your authentic self. And so if your big dream is to reconnect your authentic, you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm trying to, for all these complicated concepts really are just all very simple. Self-care and finding your mate and having right. your dream life and your dream career, all of that is getting back to the juiciness in your own heart and making it your mantra of life in every way. And it's bespoke, which is why I sound, you know, we could do on you and we can go through your day and talk about, but that's really the, the, the pinnacle of it all. Yeah, I, I love that you brought up imposter syndrome because I think, especially speaking to a group of creatives like we are right now, there is, I, speaking for myself, many times in my life where I felt that, you know, I was faking it and I you know, wasn't sure. It's sort of like, striking me honestly as we're having this conversation how silly it is to ever designate creativity as operating under imposter syndrome since really creativity is always about trying and curiosity like you said and if you're not great in the beginning it's because you're a novice but that doesn't it's not wrong to be at square one you know kevin that's ex kevin that's exactly it and if you don't have that as soon as you lose that that's when you're chasing success. And when you're chasing success, you're mm. either trying to make the same thing again, which you can't do, or you're trying to like make the things that people want. But when you're a creative, when you realize you were a creative, you just were like making shit. Right. You know, a big, that's the thing I do a lot with clients, especially uh, artists who are creative, who have had a big success. I always find the thing that they loved first, right? Um, for example, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me talking about him, like Questlove, he doesn't like play any drums, like for fun ever anymore. Mm. So that those kind of things become our block because now we've quantified them and we've taken them out of our heart and put them in our brain. And, and then we have the ego who's the Spengali of the hype who wants to be in control, who will always flame the stoke of the fire and get brain to give you all these examples of why you shouldn't try. But heart's not gonna do that. But heart, yes, you're gonna fall on your face. Yes, you're going to say some crazy stuff, but little kids handle it. They say, Kevin, you know, um, you're making me feel really bad when you say that thing. And then they're honest. And then the, the big monster is gone. And if you're uncomfortable, I mean, it took me uh, 47 years. I was such a people-pleasing chameleon, honestly. Like, I just wanted to be wanted. I would just, whatever. So learning how to, to make those steps was very hard because I'd, I had done, I'd created through the life of wanting to be wanted that even the behaviors that I deemed as love, like people needing me and wanting me, that gave me no space for my own creativity, I had to change that. But I had already trained people to need that from me. So that that was a lot. Oof. But what, what what's good for you is ultimately good for everybody around you when you're in integrity. There's an African proverb that says, what you heal for yourself, you heal for your entire family line in both directions. And that's true. Mm. But it starts with really understanding that you have to be like, you know, every, any, every spiritual faith says some version of this, that when you are no longer in beginner's mind, 
when you're no longer walking up to everything with like with zero expectation and judgment, like you don't know what it is, it's over already. Right. You missed it. In terms of creativity, I think ego has such an interesting place in it. And I'm sure over your career, you've seen different people marshal ego to different ends. You know, I think sometimes there is a helpfulness around ego. It's sort of that bravado that helps you, you know, take that big leap. But I'm sure you've also seen how ego can be a cloud or a fog that keeps you from accessing the actual thing. So how do you, when you're working with people who are experiencing these creative, you know, turmoils or questions on such a large level where there's a public and an audience and money, you know, attached to the outcome. How do you help people navigate being real to themselves in that moment, but also having the confidence to, you know, make an assertion, take a stand, do something original? A thousand, first of all, um, yeah, doing something authentic and taking a stand, right? And and doing that, you know what it is when you market something. You can always tell when something is not really authentic, when something's mm-hmm. fake or they didn't really get the language right, so it's not connecting to us. So that's the truth of us as humans. You know, we can we feel each other, we're animals. So when you also are not inauthentic in your own energy, that's what you're giving out to people around you. So yeah, that 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 imposter syndrome and the ego is so important. If we didn't have an ego, we wouldn't have any motivation to get up and go. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a, another thing, especially in our country, we make everything so black and white, but there's nothing that's actually black or white or gray. We are rainbows. We are mm-hmm. all genders and all everything. We are, you know, the, we code switch as humans. Sometimes I need more of this. Sometimes I need more of that. So getting all those things into healthy balance is the best thing because we're so out of balance in this country. You know, you think about, I did this exercise last year and I started thinking about how often I apologize, right? I'm walking down the street, somebody comes in my direction. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but then I'll make something amazing or I'll have an incredible accomplishment and I don't want to receive any praise or I don't want to. So we just have to get these things into balance and, and really see where these things are coming from because often our out of balance is again, back to over othering. It's like other people's thoughts about it. You know, I, I remember when I was about 11, I was in a, a gymnastics group and I did something that I was really proud of that day. And these group of girls just started making fun of me. And I, they, I didn't have the words for it then, but there's a thing in this country too, especially in a lot of cultures that's like, um, I don't know how to say this anymore because this word is now different, but you know, like pride shaming, but not in the way you mean, like shaming people who are proud, like mm. people making you, thinking they're doing a good thing by making fun of you to bring you da- ba- da- back down to a position. You see what I mean? Yeah. So we have that all around and that's not necessarily people are mean spirited. It's just that we come packing the stories from well-intended humans before us who came packing the stories of well-intended humans before them. Mm-hmm. So to be a creator is to be a disruptor. And that word has gotten so co-opted now also, but disruption really means at the root of our own heart. Question every freaking thing. You know, why is why is this called a phone? Who said? Do we agree with that? You know, this is art, this is not art. We've seen crazy examples of that over the last few years. The lady who put the plug battery in her vagina at, at a, um, Art Basel, the banana situation. I mean, we can keep going. I mean, even the emperor's new clothes is a story about that. Mm. So this is not a new concept. It's just that we make everything so hyper-personal because we're in our deep cover, covering up the fact that we're not really being ourselves. Mm. I think the concept of code switching is super interesting as it relates to joy. Um, I would love for you to fill in all the gaps I don't know, but I do know that you started your life um, in a Quaker community. And since then, it you've gone through a lot of different worlds. And I have understanding also what it's like to traverse different worlds. I think something that's been hard in the past is that success or happiness or joy seems to change in different worlds that you're operating in. And that to me is sort of the idea of the code switch is 
knowing how to sort of like maintain your oneness throughout these different worlds that you're a part of and remembering what it is that brings you joy, even if the things in the world you're in at that moment, whether it's music or the culinary world or entertainment has different values. How did you, being someone who's had all these experiences, sort of like center around Grace's joy, even though you had so many different concerns and other people's egos and questions and desires all around you? First of all, I'm freezing, look at a blanket. Snowing outside and it's gonna disgust. You know, that really was a long journey. And that's why I went to Joy Strategy because I didn't know how to do that. I really worked hard and, and I was such a strange other growing up. Being and, and again, this is not a victim story, this is just a fact of my life. I was I, in the, it was 1970, you know, so I was black and white, and my family was uh, Baptist and Jewish and Episcopalian and, and Muslim, and my mother decided that we were choosing to raise me Quaker, which mm -hmm. actually was fantastic because really that's the closest to a lot of the, um, a lot of beliefs and faiths that I really appreciate because the concept of Quakerism is just that God is the light and they don't even call it God. It's just a light and everyone has that light in them. And so that was very helpful for me because living a life where we moved to different places and I had all kinds of different family and I was in different kinds of religious groups and different kinds of camps and retreats. I felt very comfortable with all kinds of people all the time mm -hmm. with true curiosity and respect with not with a, I mean, I once went on this trip to Ireland and I took a bus from the airport in Shannon to Killarney and I braided my hair and literally four different people in this three hour journey just came right up to me to touch my hair. Wow. And it, 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 it just was an interesting concept of when you're not around the different kinds of energies and people. So that's one thing I've always been very comfortable in that way. Um, it wasn't until I literally was Groundhog's Daying with the third marriage ending that I thought I got to get off the ride and mm -hmm. not the marriage or love ride because I am all about that. I love that. But clearly something is wrong. And what was wrong was that I was not listening to myself. I was not embodying any truth. And, and, and that's really where that balance comes back in, because I was looking at all the parts of my life that were different and making that a problem in my life. You know, mm -hmm. I, I didn't go to college. I didn't graduate uh, high school. I don't have, you know, I was making my whole life all about these things I don't have. Mm -hmm. Instead of realizing, oh, wait a minute. Okay, let me look at the world going forward. I'm a global citizen of this world. I really have such a, my life is such a, a combination of excitement. Now, don't get me wrong. I feel very ident identify as in this world, I identify as a black woman, period as a choice in the concept of what we, I need in this lifetime to um, bring forth in this, in this vehicle, in this vessel. And not to digress, the point of that story is, how did I align myself to that? Well, when I was feeling at, I feel like the lowest point where I was feeling like life felt horrible, at the same time, people were looking at my life so aspirational. Mm -hmm. And it was such an interesting thing to feel that because then there's guilt in that. And yeah. there was so much stuff that came out that it was so much to do with. It gave me permission to put it all down and look at it as one big puzzle. And then, you know, and that was very scary and interesting because immediately what came up was all the places in, in my life that I had to make major changes. People that I love, I have friends from nursery school and, and I have friends from, from camp, but they may not be the starting five team I need to win the game of life. Right. And so I just started really just pulling everything back and looking at it as one giant kitchen soup, soup, kitchen pots, kitchen sink soup, and just analyzing it. Wait, okay. Okay, why don't I feel great? And it was far away. It was a far away journey. At first I was like, I don't feel good because I don't live in New York where my family is. Mm. Okay, I have to live in New York where my family is. So, you know, it's, it, we don't, it's not immediate. And it is a journey. And it's not, and, and the funny thing is, is that we assign this concept of things around our heart as being so much work. But yet, if we want to get a beach body, we're going to get a personal trainer and we're going to do that work. And we're even going to brag the next day. Oh, Kevin, Celine, I couldn't even sit on the toilet. My leg, my thighs were burnt. So it's, it's just that we have to realize that we have bought into a lot of stories that may not be the truth of us. And that doesn't mean our families are wrong or bad people. They also may have bought into some stories that may not be the truth of them. So it's, it's really going back and examining all of those things. Do I feel great? Do Listen, when I go out with Kevin, is it enjoyable? Hmm. No, I always find that I'm othering and 
I feel like I drink too much and, you know, I don't really want to be drinking. I'm just making this up. I don't know if you even drink. But the point of the story is, oh, so Kevin is one of my friends I go out with when I really feel like I'm ready for that kind of experience. And then maybe I hang out with Lauren and Joy when it's like book crunch time. And it's really having enough honor and self-care for myself to build a world around me that I need. You know, I used to just like, I never had time to work out. I never had time to do anything for myself. But I had time for anybody who had a life crisis who needed to talk to me immediately. Mm. And so I started making a calendar that didn't just have like the hours I'm writing and the couple of sessions I have, but also has yoga and has a dance party. And I even have alarms on my phone that say sing. And I made a playlist of songs that I have to sing that remind me, you know, there's so much in all of that. Anyway, that's a whole, I'm digressing. But you get what I'm saying? It's like, it's understanding that when we, the only reason we think things in our heart are so scary is because we created those stories pre-verbally. You know, you understand what I mean by that? Totally. Totally. You know, I mean, we inherit, it's, you know, it's part of our inheritance, you know, from our families is, is those pre-verbal stories, I think. But even more, no, we make them up. Like, let's say I give birth to you. Hold on, I think my phone's about to die. Let's say I give birth to you. You have to go with me and charge my phone. And um, <laughs> let's say that happens. And we are literally sitting together and I'm nursing. And when I'm nursing, you're getting oxytocin and dopamine and we're staring at each other's eyes and we're in the love space. This is heaven, right? It feels great. And then maybe on the third day, I get a phone call, maybe Asia calls and she gives me bad news. And so I turn my eyes away from you. So you have, are now making up a story that you did something to get less love. Mm -hmm. And so maybe on the fourth day when you're, I'm, I'm nursing you, you're gonna start playing with my elbow. And I'm gonna tell Kim and Morgan, oh, it's so cute, Kevin, he plays with my elbow. But no, Kevin has learned how to be performative for love. Isn't mm. that crazy? So it's, yeah. it, and that's, problem with that is nobody knows that around us so they don't know how to help us untangle that whereas when we learn how to exercise somebody was teaching us and they're explaining oh when you fall or don't let a dumbbell hit up hit your toe you might break it but when we're learning to love and feel safe and love nobody could explain that to us so that's mm -hmm. why it's so important to go to joy because joy goes back and also deals with those baby parts of ourselves that we have to dust off and say you know what you were right when you feel like swinging your arm you got in trouble for that, but now you pay 40 bucks at a Kundalini class and do the same shit. <laughs> so clearly, you know, you have the answers before you started bringing everyone's information in so that you got the gold star and you were feeling safe in your community. Nothing wrong with that. But now you have to make yourself the community and gold star for yourself every day at mm -hmm. the start before you get on your phone. I have to buy some gold star stickers, I think. Yeah. You know, you I want to shift a little bit to something you said in another interview that I thought was really fascinating. You were talking about a swipe right life and mm. especially these days, so much of our lives have become digital because of the pandemic and it's just forced us to adapt. And I think we all have our personal opinions and interactions with technology that bring us more or less joy. But I'm wondering if you, how consciously the idea of joy follows you when you are online or how you think there is a way to cultivate joy in online spaces since, you know, these days, especially, it seems like that that's lacking. Totally. Well, first of all, I'm a human, right? And as humans, we want the easiest, most gluttonous, lazy experience possible. And we want all the gifts from that. So I'm, I'm honest with myself about that. So that's why I have to do a lot of things to really make sure that I do the things I need to do. When I wake up in the morning, before I look at any phone or computer or any, any, anything, I make sure that I build myself up enough. You know, when you go on an airplane and they say, if there's, an, if there's something happens, you got to put your own mask on before you yeah. help us. Because you need oxygen to, to be able to help someone else because you could pass out helping them. But that is literally the mantra of our lives. If we don't wake up and figure out whatever our joy practice is to start our day, there, um, I have these friends, Ashley and Annie, and they have a podcast, and The Miracle is You. And I was on their podcast a few months ago, and they said that we are each the chief energy officer for our own life. 
And if you think about your life that way, you know, you would really work to make sure that your energy and all the things you need for your energy. I mean, we have all the things we need for work. We make sure we have the things. We make sure that everything's on our, in our desk or in our office or in our bag if we're traveling somewhere. But we don't do that for ourselves. We don't carry around joy snacks and we don't, you know, for when we're triggered. We don't um, start the day from the energy state that we want to be in. But we have to. Even if that's making a three-song playlist of the three songs that make Kevin feel like he's taking over the world. Like is we need to really make sure that when you start your day, it's that. And that's how you really, before you even get on technology, that's such a helpful way to even have a balance with technology because it's also a reminder that there's so much other fun and joy in life besides the dopamine you get from this thing dinging every moment and giving you a, a reward. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is I don't, the people say, oh, my Instagram or whatever, it's, you know, it's depressing. I don't follow anybody and I've unfollowed people and I love them, but I'm not in and whatever the phase is like I'm not being binged on the news I three days a week and I only go to the four sources of things I enjoy reading and you know real things that have different opinions and I want to talk and I have times for it but I do not let people just send me that shit willy-nilly at the beginning of the pandemic my mom every day we have a family chat and the family chat really is supposed to be just interesting things and birthdays and she started every day like gloom and doom and mm-hmm. we got about that and I said I don't give you permission to rent that kind of space in my head in the morning like you can't open up something that has mom on it so that's really putting the boundaries and and that goes back to communication too being honest with someone you know this is not I'm not against you Celine I just really I'm working so hard as a human to be doing the things I need you know I know that every day when I have a dance party I have a little mini dance party for myself I feel so much better. I get Mm -hmm. rewards from the universe, but does that still make me want to go do it again the next day? No. So you see what I mean? It's like, we have so much energy to give to other people to keep, keep them loving us or employed or nice on the subway or our neighbors, not thinking we're jerks. But if we even gave ourselves 50% back of that as made us the star of our own story, all these things that we're talking about would shift. Chris, I was reading a little bit about your your practice of joy and what you do with clients, and so much of it sounds like it's about sort of like a tactile awareness of what it is that brings you joy. Because as kids, we're, we're doing things, right? It's more action-oriented. If I was having a session with Grace, I know that you would ask me questions to really figure out what kind of person I am in order to provide the sort of play that would awaken my creativity. For those who don't have the opportunity to have that session, that one-on-one with you, are there tips for accessing that creativity and joy in our own lives, you know, by ourselves, in our in the little corners we make in our homes? Absolutely. Well, I think the very first thing is the thing that we were talking about a few minutes ago, which is literally starting your day. I mean, from the minute you open your eyes. If you sleep next to somebody, don't even turn over and acknowledge them yet. And just give yourself like three gratitudes. Just say to yourself three things that before you even open your eyes, you feel good about. And and you see, it's like, it's these little 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 um, breadcrumbs on the trail to our own heart that really keep us going all day. I went. I said before that you know if you're going on a long trip and there's no there's not going to be any food, you're going to bring snacks with you so you don't you're not hungry, right. right? You don't starve to get super dramatic about it. But we know we're going to go somewhere, maybe like Ram Dass said that, you know, he's practicing yoga for 10 years and then he's around his family for one weekend and everything he learned went out the window. And that's what life is. You know, you can practice something in the morning. You can have a you can have, you know, a dance party in your shower and you can feel like a million dollars. And then you go out to your to your hallway and one situation happens and that's life. Mm-hmm. So we can't just let it all get thrown to shit. We have to then have practices that we keep. I have in my bag. I Sometimes I carry little bubbles around. Mm-hmm. Or have little pads with, with, with pe- colored pencils, like whatever you need, whatever's going to work for you. Reminders in your phone or silly quotes or uh, uh, um, some people I tell them they should have little comedy snippets, like 30 seconds. Just so whatever is going to get you into that state of feeling joy in your own heart. And then keep that show going. Keep that show on the road. You know, even how our houses are set up. People just don't even realize that everything impacts how we feel about ourselves. If you're washing your face and the towel does not make you feel like you're amazing, that that might not be the towel for you. That sounds so superficial, but it's the truth of our lives. 
You know, you wore this jacket today because it gets a lot of compliments. But what if you went back to being five and you only wore things that felt so soft on your skin? Mm. You know, we had a different resonance about how we felt about ourselves and what was important when we were younger. We have to get back to that. Get back to that. Um, and 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 be spoke it. Like, what do you like? Some people love to trampoline. Some people love running. Some people were in a band when they were six. Well, actually, you should still be in a band, even if it's in your own room. Right. Even if you don't play for anyone else, but if that lit your lit your heart up at one point, then it needs to be still part of your practice. We haven't touched on this, but I could be wrong, but I have a sense that living in an effort to pursue and maintain joy feels like it also needs to come with forgiveness because living authentically will require you both forgiving others and yourself for those moments where, you know, y'all weren't able to, to show up the way you needed to. And I was wondering if, if you agreed with that or how forgiveness is a part of joy in your own life. Well, first of all, I absolutely agree with that, Kevin. And until I really forgave myself, I couldn't find the value to feel worthy of even doing the thing I'm talking about. You know, behind all of these things, it sounds so light, but what it really is is family or societal concepts of what makes you a good person. And depending on where you come from, those things can put a real heavy load on your head about how you, how entitled you feel to have things. Mm. How entitled you feel to feel good is even a thing. So forgiveness is that. And then you have to then go back and see those people as full humans and not just have live in victim consciousness that they did this to you. So there's forgiveness in that too. And then there's forgiveness every day. When you something happens every day, this is life. We're here to learn. So something's always going to happen. And, and I think if you back it up a little bit before you even get to that forgiveness, you start to just have zero expectations of people. And that doesn't mean that people can do anything they want. It's just a, this is a whole architecture of a life. So if you're living in integrity, you're showing up in your truth to everyone in your life, you have the boundaries around you for the things that you do and you don't enjoy. So then when something comes and it's an affront to your life, often it just gets popped out of its own accord. And if it's not, it's so easy to say, you know, um, I'm not comfortable with that, but thank you. You know, or you know what, I'm actually, I need more, I'm actually gonna spend a week by myself this week, but thank you so much for that offer. And it's not that what we're saying is different, that when you really believe that's the truth of your heart, even the delivery of that is different. It's mm. not apathetic. It doesn't leave room for anything. And, and it, becomes an, it becomes inspirational to people how much you put yourself and your energy first in a loving way. So forgiveness is huge, and we have to keep that going. And, and honestly, you learn something once about yourself. You learn in kindergarten, I think we talked about this math, but if you're in high school, you're still learning math. It's just a much more complicated version. That's the mm -hmm. truth about unraveling ourselves. It's not like we have a week of self-care and then we make a joy practice and then life's easy. It just it means that we start to know how to not be so reactive to these things and trust life and, understand, and be excited and more curious about things than, than judgmental. I'm wondering how, how to maintain this practice as it relates to the important relationships in, in your life. I think as creative people, we've all had those moments where the, the creativity, the, the pursuit, the, the project um, becomes bigger and more important feeling than perhaps the people in our lives that we're sharing it with. And so I wonder how you find um, space in your relationships to pursue joy and, and this creative freedom that you desire while also being a responsible partner in a relationship that does need to sort of have, hey, I can trust you to be there when I need you for, you know, X, Y, and Z. A, a thousand percent. I, the biggest issue with that is communication. Mm. First with ourselves, with honesty about how much time we really do need for ourselves as creatives, because that's something I just got to last year. You know, I felt so uncomfortable taking, I need, I need a full weekend often to really, if I get into something creative that I really want to put my focus to. So I had to get honest with that, honest with myself about that first and then have forgiveness for myself because then I had a whole story around what kind of person does that. So there was that. And then it's, when I go back to that, there's, we have tears. That's why we say, I say we have intimacy teams. It doesn't even mean, I'm not talking about sex at all. I'm talking about 
needing to have a deep conversation with someone, needing to open your heart to someone who's like you, needing to collaborate on a project with somebody else. That's intimacy in all different ways. And yet we've somehow Disneyed this world down to this one person supposed to complete everything in your life. And so it's just getting really honest with the people in your life. You have your starting five. That's the people that you're choosing to win this game of life with. They may not be your friends that you hang out with on the weekend. They may be someone you call and they can give you a quick opinion, but you need to set that kind of counsel up for yourself to really help you grow whatever. I mean, if you are working at a business, you would give that as a suggestion in a meeting. Let's have an advisory board, but we need that too. Like really thinking of ourselves as a project and starting to put around that project. And then you wouldn't hire somebody to work at Buck who hated Buck or was annoyed that Buck was working five days a week that didn't like marketing, that actually didn't even like people. You wouldn't hire that. So we often choose relationships based on work that we have to mirror in ourselves when we still are really nursing and healing a lot of these, 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 these painful baby. Um, and I'm not saying baby in a belittling way. But we're still nursing these these first family situations from our fa- the love experiences from our families with people, and so when we start to really change that, then we start to choose people that you know, Kevin. If you were if we're in a relationship and you say to me, I have this new project, I'm so excited about it, and unfortunately it's going to require it's going to require like the next eight weekends. So then in a, in a good mature relationship with people who really love themselves first, I'd say. All right, well, then you owe me a two-week vacation in August. Mm. You see what I mean? It's like a really an advocating for your life in every way for it to really still protect and have boundaries around. It's like our life's a, a constant hockey game. We're constantly, like, getting the, the negative things. We're putting them in the goalie and just bringing in more joy snacks all around for ourselves. Just gamify it by thinking of it that way. But that's... I that's... To... I'm sorry about that. Um... I have this sense that even when it comes to creativity, and maybe this is just, you know, growing up in America and a Western perspective, but I have this sort of like idea that even with with creativity and creative pursuits, there's a way in which we talk about them as being either successful or not successful, um, and because there's an you know creativity. We talk about it as a pursuit, an adventure, something joyous, but it's hard, you know? It's hard because the product at first shot, unless, you know, you're a savant who happens to get lucky that day, it's not going to be the thing you think it is, and so you have to return to it day after day. And that is not the most obviously joyous thing. It's hard to go back to something day after day that doesn't seem to be really giving you what you wanted even though we know that perhaps six months of toil will produce the breakthrough. In those moments, in those creative projects that aren't really, you don't find them giving you what you thought it was gonna give you, or you find it, it's not as successful as perhaps you wanted it to be. What is the conversation you have with yourself around that kind of project? Yeah, well, first of all, that whole thing of, there's a lot of expectations in that. And that's immediately taking yourself out of the creation place where you're, where it's fun and curious and, and you're putting it in the success place. And Guru Jagat, who just passed, that was her big statement always. When you're trying to success through life, I'm aiming for success, you're failing already. Because that's nothing. What are you working towards? When you're in creation and you're in constantly in, the, in a curious, excited state about the n- new things you're making time, then you're con- then you're literally in creation which is successful in itself. And then the real reality of something being um, mundane. I, I went on a tour of Pixar's offices a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and I was really impressed with this concept that they gave each of the, you know, the just people who are you know there for five years working on the same cartoon, they get their own office and a budget. And they mm-hmm. can do whatever they want. And some of these offices, Kevin, are insane. This one guy, this one guy, he has an office that um, it looks like um, you're walking through like a glass like into a portal, into like an old fashioned bar, but like inside of a bottle for a pa- I can't even explain it. And it's yeah. space. So keep your environment exciting. When I worked at Island Def Jam, I I often had a lot of artists who needed to see me and I it was just a stressful feeling. I would be inside like feeling like someone was waiting. And then I decided one day to take those alphabets that stick to the refrigerator when you're little. Mm-hmm. And I filled my door with it. 
And it was amazing because it just got people to slow down. They had fun. They played. And it's just a simple thing. But it's just bringing those things to your, your workspace. And then I went, when that got old, I painted it with chalkboard paint and put chalk on the, on, at the bottom of the door. Mm. So there's just, you know, or take a 20-minute break every day and have a dance party. Do something else. Or, or you know, everyone has to come in with a joke. Or if it's been on this, you've been on the same thing for seven months, well, then maybe you give it another name that's funny. Like, it's literally gamifying life in all the ways so that you can constantly keep bringing that excitement back to your life. That's our job as chief energy officers. Mm. It's not a bad note to end on. We are at our last few minutes. I cannot believe it's been nearly an hour. Um, I did just want to say at the end, if there's anything that you'd like to discuss today that we didn't have a chance to hit on or, you know, some probably not the final, final words about joy, but some words about joy to leave us on. That would be lovely. I, I really, the thing that I want to say is I said a lot of stuff today and that in itself can give us permission to not take this on, mm. but you owe it to yourself to try to feel as good as you can feel. Why not? What do you have to lose? So then mm. the thing I say the most is don't make it hard. Don't make it difficult. Give yourself two minutes, three minutes. Some, there's, I had one person told me they don't ever have any time. I made him bring a joke book into the bathroom when he was taking a shit. He had to read a joke. I don't care what it is. But it's like we're so committed to how bad things feel. But when we hear there's work to do, we immediately don't want to do it. Right. So I really, my biggest thing is just do one thing. Start your day with a crazy song. Do your hair different. Wear a different color. Just start to change the energy up and give yourself permission to feel into what feels good to you in a different way. That's that's the easiest way to, to climb this giant mountain. Well, Grace, this has been absolutely great. And I hope that we all can, you know, find a little bit of peace in the understanding that, you know, joy is a process and that you can stumble along the way, but really being on the way is sort of the only thing you can do to find joy in certain respects. You know, it's always it sounds like it's an evolution. Um, and there's a lot of freedom in that. Thank you so much. And Thank you. I hope we can talk again soon sometime. Please. I'd be, it'd be my, my honor. Thank you so much, Grace. I'll see you all day. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Banter. Thanks to our guest, Grace Harry, and this episode's host, Kevin Pyers. Thanks also to Ant Food, who created our original music. Check them out at antfood.com. Banter is produced by Buck a global creative company that brings brands, stories, and experiences to life through art, design, and technology. Learn more at buck.co.